0: You're listening to Slow Theology, Simple Faith for Chaotic Times with AJ Swoboda and Nij Gupta.
1: Hey, welcome back. AJ Swoboda here with my dear friend, Nij Gupta. AJ, Nij, together once again. Uh, and today we're going to have a conversation about something I've actually wanted to talk with you for a really long time about, Nij, And that is, uh, I want to talk about the question, I, w- I want to ask the question, what, how in the world do you deal with, um, uh, criticism. What really more pointedly? How do you deal with those moments when you're th- when you're critiqued on what you think, what you believe? uh theological criticism. Uh, kind of a r- really nuanced, right? Theological criticism, not just criticism, but specifically what happens when we uh, experience uh, theological criticism. So, uh, two years ago, I was teaching a class in Florida, and. A young man in the class uh, who'd been with me for a whole week. It was an intensive theology, graduate level theology course. Really fun. It was an awesome, one of my favorite classes I've ever taught. Uh, And uh, near the end of the course, um, the group was primarily made up of Pentecostals and Charismatics. So there was a a lot of folks in the room who kind of come from the the, the tribes that I come from, kind of the charismatic evangelical world. And, uh, one of the uh, folks in the class, uh, asked, pull me aside after class. And he said to me, you know, I've loved this class. Thank you for teaching it. I have a prophetic word for you. Mm. And, uh, the, and what that means is it means he felt like God wanted me to hear something. I yeah. said, I, share brother, share away. What, what did, what did you hear? And he said to me, he goes, well, I was in prayer for you this morning and I felt like God wanted me to say to you. That you are a low level theologian. <laughs> now, so I, I got to tell you, as a as a as a three, wow. I my immediate <laughs> a low oh. level theologian. I'll say it oh, again, a ouch. low level theologian. I felt I, I you know I'm trying to. I don't want to throw contempt at a prophecy, so I'm being all generous and kind. But I went back to my hotel and I was mad. Did he say it with I a smile? Mad. What 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 what? He was generous. He was totally kind. Let me, let me finish the story. So he, <laughs> I'm like mad. I'm in my hotel and I'm mad. A low-level theologian. What does that mean? What does that mean? And I went home. I re- remember I flew home. And maybe two or three weeks later, uh, I was sitting in my office preparing a lecture or something. And it dawned on me that he was absolutely right. Hmm. And because what he meant, what he what he was saying was, so part of my calling in life is there are two different kinds of theologians, there are really really high level academic academic theologians, yeah, theologians who write for theologians, yeah, and then there are theologians who are called to serve the church, like sure. sort of low <laughs> low level theologians, yeah. and it dawned on me that actually this was a this was a truthful word and that the the word that he was giving me was that i um I'm called to be a theologian for the church, I'm called to be a theologian for the everyday person in the church, and what I immediately thought was criticism was actually a gift yeah and and that it's he clarifying. was speaking he was speaking to me a word that was really, really true about who I am, and the reality is I hate things like Society for biblical literature and theological the societies they just they are really hard on my soul yeah. and they don't, you know it 's taken years to realize that 's because those aren 't the people i 'm called to i right. 'm called to the single mother at home with three kids who needs somebody to help speak into their life i 'm mm-hmm. called to the college student i 'm called to the pastor i 'm called to the elder i 'm called to the the people the low level theologian that story for me um, Really, that's I, I've thought about that story a billion times and how I'm struck that I immediately wanted to reject it because at first, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah <clears throat> I've learned a lot about myself. I know you've learned a lot about yourself. Um, we tend to but not by nature, by default, we tend to immediately emotionally reject stuff that we don't like, right? And, and I worry very often for myself that I, when it comes to criticism, when it comes to people saying things I don't want, that I am too quick to reject rather than to hear the gift and the criticism. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how we can learn from this happens to tons of people, right? You go home for Thanksgiving, you go home for a Christmas thing and you talk to a family member you haven't talked to for a long time. And you tell them something that you believe and they just rail on you about something that they think is is stupid about what you're thinking, or you post something on social media about your thoughts about God. And you thought it was brilliant. And the trolls just like come and attack you like crazy. We all do this. We all put our thoughts about God out there. And sometimes we get hammered for it. Yeah. Is it possible, Nijay, that sometimes criticisms can actually be gifts to us, can actually give us life if we look at them in the right way? What's your gut level response to that?
0: Yeah. I mean, my gut level response is um, you know, often for me, when that happens, I experience my imposter syndrome and kind of the, the idea that I'm being exposed to the world, right. That my, that, that my weaknesses and my failures, if they're found out will get me fired or demoted or, you know what I mean? All kinds of things. And so then I end up being reactionary. I end up lashing out. I end up um, wallowing um, and one thing that I'm trying to get better at is, um, I mean, just what this podcast is about s- slowing down, right. Not being reactionary, not saying the very first thing that comes in my mind, which is screw you. Or, you know, that's just your opinion. Like, um, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I mean, think about course evals. You and I, you know, live in a world where students tell us (laughs) what they think about us at the end of the term, usually right after they get their grade and they're unhappy with their paper, um, unhappy with how we've graded their paper. And then they, you know, I get people talking about, you know, my lectures don't make sense or I'm not prepared for class. I remember one time a student said, he looks at the slides when he's lecturing as if he doesn't know what's on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're giving uh, really niche <laughs> comments <laughs> on, you know, and, and I think the old me was just, you know, heartbroken, you know, by, you know, by criticism and rejection and, you know, questioning um, I think one thing that I'm working on is um you know not not making everything the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I just go too quickly to well this will lead to this and this will lead to that, and then everybody'll come at me with pitchforks and torches. You know what I mean? Like I immediately go to the worst possible outcome, you know, the dystopian uh outcome of of what could happen. And I think part of simple faith is um, I don't have to put all of the future in my control. Part yeah. of simple faith is uh, how should I react to this in the present moment, and I'm going to sit with this for a while. I'll tell you something that happened to me in seminary that was really, really insightful and helpful. I ha- I I I'm going to I'm going to be honest with something here, AJ. I'm being vulnerable. I got an A minus on a paper and I was really upset. <laughs> oh, good Lord. oh, I got an A minus on a church history paper from a quote unquote, easy professor. And I was so upset because I didn't want to threaten my good grades. And so I stormed into his office and I, you know, gave him an earful of why, you know, he didn't give us enough direction and instruction for me to have been graded this way or, you know, all this stuff. And he's the most gentle, wonderful soul in the world. His name is Garth Roselle. And uh, he could have yelled at me and he could have, but he said, you know, um, I'm not perfect. I I want to recognize that right away. I don't remember grading your paper or what grade I gave you or why, but why don't I take this with me, your paper, and we'll come back in a week and we'll talk more about it. And I'll think through what I did and and you think about it some more. And um I didn't like that at the moment. I wanted him to change my grade right there on the spot, and you know, but the fact that he, you know, wanted to honor me by taking some more time to think about it, now mm-hmm. I value that so much. The fact that he didn't make an in the moment decision. Yeah. But he wanted to t- to honor me by taking some more time to think about it, and that he said, "I'm I'm not perfect. I'm a professor. I make mistakes. I grade lots of papers." AJ, you know, you know, I don't, re- I didn't recognize until I became a professor just how hard grading is, because there is a level of subjectivity to it, and you're grading thirty, forty, fifty papers in one one or two weeks. Yeah, and so you know, those grades they they are slippery. I mean, you know, anyway, so so. I'm, I'm trying my best now to, to not take rejection personally, <laughs> even yeah. when it was personal by the person who's saying something. And I think what's helping me now is to not get too caught up in either what does everybody think about me now or is this the end of the world? I think if we yes. take those two pieces off the table, I have so much more of an opportunity to actually take the criticism seriously or whatever it is more seriously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nijay, you, you've spent the, the majority of your, your adult life studying um uh, the the apostle Paul. Yeah. And when I, when I read the new Testament, when I read um, Paul's letters, it's, it strikes me, correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty much everywhere Paul went, he was rejected. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a kind of distinguishing yeah. mark in his life. And I've always Found that that story near the end of Acts, where Paul gets shipwrecked on the island and the barbarians welcome him, that that is the one time in the New Testament he's like welcomed, and it's by the barbarians. <laughs> That's funny. That, is right? funny. that he's always hated everywhere he goes, and the one group of people that makes room for him are these barbarians. Um, yeah. But it seems to me that the the way of Jesus really does entail rejection. Like it, that, it's part. It, Jesus even says this stuff, right? They're going to reject you on behalf of me. They're not doing it because of you. They're doing it because of me. They don't, the the world does not want me. And so they reject you out of rejecting me. And Jesus said, don't be surprised at this stuff. Don't be surprised at being rejected because of the way of Jesus. And so Paul gets to flesh that out. I mean, he gives his life to Jesus. He gives up his former life um, as a legal, you know, scholar of the uh the 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 pharisaical tradition, although he keeps he continues to call himself a Pharisee, but he gives up a certain way of life mm-hmm. and he um gives his life to this way of Jesus and he is just countlessly rejected by the church, by cities, by places he's preaching. When you look at Paul. If you were to, if we were to ask him and interview him today, based on yeah. everything you know, how do you deal with criticism? What would Paul say?
0: That's a good question. I, you know, I actually wrote about this in, in a Christian Idea article. Um, the title of it is Who Canceled the Apostle Paul? I think I don't particularly love that title. The title that I wrote was How to Lead When You're Hated. Because it was wow. true for Paul. Everywhere he went, uh, even other Christians didn't like him. I remember reading a book by Udo Schneller. And he had a section in the book about early Christianity called the counter mission against Paul. Could you imagine if, if there was a counter mission against A.J. Swoboda? I mean, <laughs> there might be, but uh, like, how, how would you feel about that? So, that? so I guess that's the question we're asking is how did Paul cope with that? I, I would say two things. Um, one is he was very convinced and confident of what God had called him to do. Right, he, you know, he talks frequently about his calling, his calling being an apostle of Gentiles, a caretaker of churches, um, and, you know, so he showed great drivenness and resilience towards that. I would say now that I've studied Paul, you know, for quite some time, I would say also he was open and vulnerable with people that he could trust. So for example in the pastoral epistles he actually says to Timothy nobody came to my defense when i had my trial nobody showed up nobody nobody was rooting me on like all my close friends here have left me you know he mentions a, a list of names of people that weren't there for him when he needed them and he actually says Timothy would you please come visit me Bring a coat. Some of my books, my Kindle. You know, he says, bring some things. But but he basically says, I need you, Timothy. Um, he says to the Thessalonians, pray for us. Mm. You know, I love it when pastors say that. You know, pray for me. You know, I'm I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. So on the one hand, this is what I love about Paul. He can show great hardness in a good way, which we would call resilience. Yes. Um, I would say it's basically. Uh, it's basically a sense of certainty about his calling. Yeah. You and I have talked about this even recently, you know, uh, we're not called to write for the high Academy. And so there's sometimes some embarrassment there or, or being left out, but we are both certain of our calling of, of who our audience is, who we're trying to speak to, who we're trying to engage. Um. So Paul is very confident of that. And I love at the same time he can be very tender hmm. and open about about being alone sometimes about wow. um, you know about being kind of a persona non grata. Um, I I think that's really healthy. You know, we, in 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 our last episode or previous episode, we talked about the problem of leaders being isolated.
1: Yes, And this is
0: one of the biggest things I run into with my seminary students is pastors, especially, tend to be very isolated um, because of the exhausting nature of their work, um, because of, in some ways, the image they have to present of power, leadership, authority. Um, But the importance of having people that you can be open with, like the Timothy. Do we have a Timothy in our life that we can... Just let out our anxieties, fears, disappointments, failures. I think that's huge. Um, I'm going to go back to your question about theological rejection. I think for me, and and we've talked about, you know, the spiritual direction and how that's helped us. I think for me, what I've learned the most is just relinquishing control. Mm. Relinquishing control of what other people think of me. I I had to turn that corner a couple years ago that I used to be so obsessed with protecting my image. Um, And I used to equate that with protecting myself. And now I'm realizing if I'm constantly trying to put out fires of protecting my image, I'm not going to have any energy for listening to God. Yep. And so I I probably teeter on the boundary of cynicism. (laughs) I'm trying Uh, not to. It's easy to become cynical. And- Not take rejection seriously, not hear people out. So, one thing is to take rejection too seriously. Yep. And to have a a million critics and have them kind of pierce your soul. The opposite would be never taking criticism seriously. Yes. Yep. And, and, and that puts you just in another universe. You you know, you have no opportunity then to grow from these experiences that you're having I think what I I appreciate Garth Rosell, what he did for me was basically teach me how to take the situation the issue set it aside and be able to look at it on its own without the heat of the moment Um. so there's a difference between setting it aside forever and never looking at it and, and setting aside and saying is there something I can learn from this yep. is, there, is there something I can value from this yep and then moving forward with, um, so here's a saying I use in my students, which which I think relates, because I teach hermeneutics, which is the philosophy interpretation, and the reality is we all come to the Bible with you know different different experiences and and uh, different lenses, and uh, one sometimes I feel like students come in the classroom and they're trying to defend their tradition, they have their fists up. And they want to defend their view on the sacraments or on eschatology, this and that or the other. And sometimes there's a thing I call fear of contamination. That if I listen to you, AJ, as a mm. Pentecostal, your Pentecostalness may rub off on me and I'll get you know dirty with your you know views. Um, I try to release that for students by saying, as a Christian. You're not responsible for adopting the opinions of your fellow castmates, but you are responsible for being influenced by their values.
1: That's so good.
0: Influence is different than adoption, right? Just like you were talking about Catholics in the previous episode, uh, you can be influenced by Catholics without becoming Catholic. Yes. You could be influenced by a critic. Yes. Without changing your views to the other side. Yes. That's something I really hope for for a world right now that that just tries to throw grenades from afar. I want more influence, mutual yep. influence, yep. which can only happen with what you did, which is really process process patiently and slowly. Yep. Someone who just walked up and said, I have this word for you.
1: Okay. So I got a letter once. This was, I was preaching at a church and I got a letter from uh, a, a woman in the church. She put, she wrote, a, I preached at this church about a week later, I get a handwritten letter. And at the very end is her name, her phone number and her address. But essentially it was a front and back four page, complete wow. rebuttal of my sermon. Oh, <laughs> and um, I could tell, she, oh, she even boy. told me how old she was, seventy seventy 70 years old, part of the church. And it was a point by point rebuttal of my church. So my first initial reaction was who the heck thinks they get to tell me, you know, what, what, what I know about the text. And, and I wanted to just like shred the letter and something inside of me said, sit on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the next week I just sat on it and I came back to it about four days later and I reread it. And a day later I came back and reread it again and within one week, I went from wanting to reject it to this woman actually had some really valid critiques of one of my points yeah. and that <clears throat> I probably didn't nuance my point well enough and actually ended up saying something that could have been taken the wrong way and probably was taken the wrong way by some people in the room. And I, uh, I, I eat, I, I wrote her letter back and I thanked her for her email or for her, for her letter. And I was abundantly grateful that she wrote to me. Here's why that letter worked. A, the tone of that letter was generous, kind, and she was inviting me into it. She wasn't mean. She invited me into it. It was a conversation. But here's the second thing. She gave me her name and her number. She wanted dialogue. And she was willing to put her name on what she was saying. And when I, I mean, it's, I know it's a minor thing, but I just love that of all the 13 letters Paul wrote, he put his name on all of them. <laughs> you true. know, like he said, I'm gonna write to you, and here's the deal. Here's my address. Except Hebrews, AJ, he did. <laughs> oh, I apologize for overlooking the great mystery of um the the longest. Yeah, I apologize. <clears throat> but aside from Hebrews, aside from Hebrews, which, which makes sense. Hebrews was really written just by a really grumpy person who yeah. had a critique. <laughs> at now, at the, the end of one, Hebrews, is just uh,
0: say. I rate you church as one star out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, signed anonymous. There you go. Sorry, go but ahead. I mean, you were saying you, you, you did can put it. Yeah.
1: You can tell when somebody is doing something out of love or not, whether they, they have the guts to put their name on it. Yeah. And I will at the same time I want to say there are sadly some environments where people are in a church where they can't put their name on it because they'll get kicked out of the church for being honest. And I want to be really sensitive yeah. about that. Um, because Lord knows in any sort of narcissistic church culture situation where you can't have a voice to actually say something that is meaningful and you have to hide behind anonymity, that's heartbreaking. Nobody wants that. Yeah, yeah. But there's a there's something to be said about like criticism should come in the context of the possibility of relationship. Right? Yes. Paul begins his letters by praising God for what God is doing in those churches and thanking them for their work. Now, like in Galatians, you know, it's the only letter where he doesn't thank God for the church. You can tell he's pretty angry for the, for the community that he's writing to, but his posture was, I love you. Here's my name. This is where I'm at. You can write back. You can come find me, but I got some stuff to say to you and I want you to know it's birthed out of relationship. Paul did not separate critique from relationship is that a fair assumption
0: as far as we know yeah as far as we know he didn't um, you know I, I mean just take the you know Mars Hill speech that he gave I mean these are people that potentially could kill him and he wants to be <laughs> in conversation with them you know he wants to I mean he was a gutsy guy he was a bold guy but he does he does want to have I mean take a church like the Corinthians he could have he could have written them off and he goes yeah. through uh, probably three or four or five letters back and forth with them. And we have to remember these aren't texts. These are long-term letters that take months to for back and forth and processing. I get annoyed if someone doesn't text me back, you know, within 10 minutes right. and he's having to wait months sometimes yeah. for getting kind of the response to his, and he doesn't pull punches. He can be very direct
1: uh, and forthcoming. So yeah. Okay, so what we, what do we do, N.J. Then? What do we do with people that we can tell their criticism is not birthed in love? They want. They want to destroy. Sometimes those those are not gifts. What do we do with that?
0: That's a good question.
1: I, I would. I like. Can I tell you what I love? I love the way the Mormons deal with it. The Mormons, the way they deal with it is when Book of Mormon came out on Broadway, yeah. the Book of the, the Mormons, which is, t- I mean, it's just, it's so mean about Mormons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is so <laughs> utterly mean and ad hominem and like, it's just mockery. And the Mormons were like, okay. And they came, they literally, you, if you go to the Book of Mormon on Broadway, when you leave the show, there are Mormon missionaries that stand out front and generously hand out Book of Mormons.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They want to I'm keep not, the conversation going. Yeah. But I just love that they can even take completely unfair criticism yeah. and turn it into generosity. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, I, I would
0: say, uh, you know, I mean, there are trolls out there. So, so let's not talk about the trolls, but let's talk about, you know, someone writes, let's say, a review of your book that is very harsh, um, and you want to take it seriously. Uh, I would probably dialogue with someone i trust someone like you uh or or my wife or close another close friend and I'd say you know read this with me and help me process is there something i will say there is so much out there that you should just ignore
1: <laughs> yeah
0: uh and and don't take every single criticism seriously but you know let's say two or three people have written reviews and they're similar um you know i would i I would probably want a safe person to talk through that with and say, okay, is, is something need to change here? Or do I need to process this? Um, I think for my personality type, I have to be very careful about not being beholden to the masses hmm. and to give in to, okay, I have to bend over backwards to please everybody. Cause I have to get everybody to like me. Like that's, that's yeah. dangerous and it's unhealthy and it leads to so many bad things. But you know, if, if my, my boss sat down me and said, "Hey, listen. You know, these are some issues. Um, I'd want to take that, set it aside, talk with a safe person about it." What about you? How would you respond?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there there does come a point where um, you you need to pull a Jesus move. I mean, there comes a point where you need to wipe the dust off the bottom of your feet. You need to leave a city. I mean, that yeah. there comes a point where if 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 it's at the point where it's you know you're you're just outright experiencing endless rejection for, um, and it's, it's just unrighteous. It's okay to leave. And Jesus says that it's okay to end relationship for the sake of, uh, guarding yourself. I can say for me that the time for me, that's hardest when I feel like I'm being criticized, I got an email from a student about a month ago in which, um, this particular student, um, identified me as a racist homophobe, um, by virtue of a book, that I had uh, required my students to read. And I can tell you that the most dangerous part of my day uh, during that uh, season were the night times. Mm. When I went home at night and was lying on bed, in my bed and was just thinking about the student, their face, um, like imagining them writing that email and imagine, the nights are really dangerous for me, which when I, actually the, the text, the biblical text that got me through that was Nehemiah. And how they would at nighttime, you know, they have to guard at night and build during the day. And I love that image of guarding at night because the nighttime, when you're walking through criticism, when Sanballat is after you and, and you're, you're being hated, the nighttime is, is the work of the enemy. The enemy can mm. do really, really bad things at night to us. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to, in the evenings, um, put on the breastplate of protection and just guard my heart. That was that really at those, in those sorts of moments. Uh, prayer and intercession and getting on your knees before God are really your only option. But you you, you, you just got to be very careful when you're experiencing some unrighteous unrighteous criticism to guard your heart at night. Don't let those ideas sink too deeply into your heart and take root. Because if they do, it will create a new bitterness that is really, really hard to, uh, to uproot.
0: Well, I, I had a student who had a valid criticism of me, and I appreciated that he he wanted to meet with me. He wanted to have a face-to-face conversation and tell me, you know, patiently, but but directly that I was saying some things in class that were, you know, creating problems. Um, and and to some degree, he was right. And I really appreciate he did that rather than just go napalm in a tweet or a student eval like I wish I had more presence of mind to do that as uh, when I was a younger person i wish I wish just because you don't always think there's a human being on the other side of this that's right who that's right. is you know going through who knows what yep yeah yep. as as we wrap up um you know I, I I think part I think my main advice to people would be um again going back to the isolation issue just have people that you can talk to about the criticisms if it's a one-off you might just have to leave it but but you know I think having a regular time of reflection in your life let's say weekly where you are processing your feelings maybe at night um, I think it's important to have that I didn't have that growing up I didn't have people helping me to understand I needed to have someone I could process mm-hmm. these things with
1: what what are yeah. your final words of wisdom as we yeah, just up? um there there is a weird sort of martyrdom syndrome that a lot of those in our circles, kind of conservative evangelical world, moderate to conservative evangelical world can do where we assume all criticism is persecution or something like that. Right. And um I just like, you know, I think it's important to remind people um being persecuted doesn't mean you're right being criticized doesn't mean you're right. Oof, uh, in that's fact, a good word. you know the, the the KKK gets criticized. And I wonder if behind closed doors they're like, well, look at us. We're good. We're taking the heat for it. Uh, just because you're criticized doesn't mean you're right. And sometimes uh, we assume that criticism is the sign that we are right. Um, and I, I don't know. I want to be humble enough to know that I got a lot of blind spots mm-hmm. in that uh, I don't assume just because I'm being criticized. It's the trolls. Sometimes Criticism comes from really sweet seventy year old women who have a word that you need to hear <laughs> yeah and and so um I love the way you set us up. Paul was simultaneously resilient he was he had thick skin, but his heart was so soft before God totally. and balancing those two it 's hard work, but it 's worth it it 's yeah. worth it it 'll make us better people you, you your
0: summaries make me sound way better, so i I appreciate that. All right, AJ. Good to talk hey, to love you. Conversation. Great conversation.
1: This